0: forgot how to
1: podcast
0: (laughs) how was your vacation
1: it was amazing it was amazing i am not (laughs) a summer as i was here you can definitely see it (laughs) you
0: did get a lot of sun i did i'm very
1: i'm a a couple shades darker now
0: (laughs) tell the listeners where you went
1: i went to panama how was it the country yeah (laughs) it was amazing the people there are like it was awesome yeah they said there's a language barrier but me and one of the other girls i'm with know spanish like semi okay yeah and so it wasn't really bad at all. It was, it was so neat. It was I've never, like, <laughs> lounged around and been on a beach in yeah. a pool having drinks as, like, a vacation. So that was something different and very, like, gluttonous. Yeah. But it was, it was very, very nice. And I, like, kept my phone in the room, like, the yeah. entire day. I just didn't know anything that was going on with the world. And it was, like, it's helping me to keep my phone away from me now. It's lovely. I love it. Nice.
0: You were gone for a week
1: yeah we left on saturday or sunday and got back yesterday saturday late at night my (laughs) my parents were supposed to pick me up i called them at the miami (laughs) airport it's like it's gonna get late at midnight and they're like we'll be there unless we fall asleep right unless we fall asleep guess what happened they fell asleep they fell asleep (laughs) 10 minutes before my plane landed apparently my mom was like all right 10 more minutes, she goes, next thing I woke up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what time is it? It's 12.20. And then my dad's like, oh, Rachel sent a text saying they just landed. How long ago? Ever? We gotta go! <laughs> and I was like, my friends, like, their rides are right there and yeah. ready. And I was just like patiently waiting, like, maybe I should call them. And right as I thought about that, my mom calls and's like, we're on our way. I said, okay. And I timed it. I was like, um, with how long it took for them to get there, that means they had just left the house when she called. <laughs> so, Fine. Happy Mother's Day to you, it was yeah. fine, it was whatever.
0: Um,
1: but they're like, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's why I almost always take taxis, right? Well, that's
1: what one of my friends did. She was like, I'm just taking a taxi, and it was yeah. so funny. Was like, oh, I was like, oh, my parents said that like they'd be happy to give anyone a ride home. Um, she probably got home faster. Probably. She did. Because um, <laughs> she was going to try and stop by the store and have something really nice for her mom and have flowers in the morning, yeah. but... Kroger's aren't 20% anymore. They all close at like midnight or 1, so I don't think she was able to do that unfortunately.
0: You brought the heat back with you.
1: Yeah, I still have no air conditioning. (laughs) Oh yeah, it is fucking 90 degrees outside. It is 90 degrees
0: outside.
1: Um, That's why I was saying like, oh, we brought Panama with us. We really did it. It is it felt like this out there.
0: Yeah.
1: So, Sorry.
0: (laughs) Somebody on Facebook yesterday was like, is spring over already? We only got, like, two weeks. Yeah,
1: if that. Yeah, I no idea. Because we were looking up. I was like, well, what's the weather supposed to be like in Louisville when we get back? And they go, this. It's going, no, not Panama, in Louisville. And <laughs> <laughs> she's like, no, it is. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I believe you, I guess. And it was, like, nice and hot when yeah. I, like, walked out. And it was, you know, pitch black or whatever. It's like, summer has arrived. Yep that. Enough about my lovely vacation.
0: <laughs> How was your week? Oh, it was great. It's very relaxing. Um, did some work on the website. Um, can see it. Mary and I are working on putting together a social media calendar. Yay. Um, so I don't know what that's going to entail, but she's been texting me about it. Just so we can um,
1: maybe have a There
0: we yeah. go. Sorry. Uh, the Facebook is live. Uh, the, um, the patreon is live all that good stuff
1: cool yeah all right things are happening things
0: are happening were you here for derby or did you miss it
1: no i left the next morning so i did i did watch derby and um my horse did not win yeah because i never go for the favorite Although the favorite wins like 80 100 (laughs) times i do not care i always like to go for like i still go for like one that would be decent to win yeah um Although I don't have my horse place at all, but that's okay. <laughs> Ooh,
0: uh, talk about that. Yeah. I've I sp- a
1: whole dollar on it.
0: <laughs> I spent most of last week in hiding from the traffic because there are so many tourists uh, in here. Yeah. And they don't know how to drive. They don't. And I was just like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going bring a pizza instead. In? That's
1: actually a pretty great idea. Yeah, I just got off work and then I went to my parents to watch it. Yeah. And then after that, I was like, "All right, I have to finish packing and go to bed," Yeah. which is what I did. <laughs> oh, and it went slowly.
0: Before you left, we went and saw a Avengers Infinity War.
1: <sighs> loved it. <laughs> I still have had a com- like two other conversations with my brother. He's yeah. so bent up on the Hulk. <laughs> like I don't get it. Like that shows like human. Like it shows like he's human. He's like no. <laughs> so now you can see how stubborn he is. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it, and now I'm crushed by it i just don't know what to think think, but it's so sad
0: yeah
1: it was like heart-wrenching just watching the last scene
0: yeah
1: i'm gonna watch it again soon
0: (laughs) it was so sad i want to watch it again yes (laughs) (laughs) it was good good all right
1: i'm ready to hop in
0: cool let's get into it then um so last week i talked about uh de declare um and i did an episode on her life and times and an episode on her um her philosophy Uh, i'm going to do the same thing for her rival and her um comrade emma Goldman. okay um and so we'll get to learn a little bit more about her um so she was an anarchist um she was born to a jewish family in uh, the russian empire um, and uh, what is now, let me see if I can find it. It's now the Lithuanian city of Klanos. Uh,
1: yes, I know exactly where that is. Do you?
0: Yeah, it's yeah. right between <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that place. Um,
0: her mother's name was uh, Tau Benevich. Um, she'd been married before she met Emma's father, um, to a man who was apparently the love of her wife. He died young, as people <sighs> did in the 1860s. Yeah. Um, and apparently it devastated her. Uh, he I can died.
1: imagine how the love of your life dying <laughs> would devastate you. Yes.
0: Um,
1: so not speaking from experience or anything.
0: <laughs> when, uh, when he died of tuberculosis, she was devastated. Uh, Goldman later wrote, whatever love she had had died with that young man to whom she had been married at the age of 15. That is
1: depressing as hell. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, Her second marriage was arranged by her family. um, Emma Goldman would later call it mismated from the first.
1: What from Uh, the first? Mismated? Mismated. That's great. So
0: a mismatch. Yeah. Um, Her second husband was Abraham Goldman um, and he took uh, her mother's inheritance and invested into a business that failed pretty much immediately. Great. He, um, trigger warning for, uh, for child abuse. He, um, apparently was really hard on all three of the the children. He would beat them pretty incessantly. Um, I'm also going to drop a, uh, a trigger warning here for, um, for rape, which is going to show up later in the story. Because this is just the, uh... Why? (laughs) The best story.
1: (laughs) I just got back from fucking vacation. I
0: know. I, uh, I had this plan before you left on vacation. To be fair, I had
1: nothing planned. <laughs> <clears throat> um.
0: So he was not a good businessman, but he kept trying. Um, when uh, his wife became pregnant uh, for the first time, he hoped for a son. He was one Cuts. of those guys who yeah. considered boys. Yeah. Uh, he was one of those guys who considered boys to be uh, success and girls to be a sign of failure. And Emma Goldman was the first uh, daughter. She's the firstborn. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. Uh, she she had two sisters from the pre- from the first marriage.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: So it was the two sisters and then, then was Emma. the,
1: first. Gotcha of this new marriage of this lovely marriage. Yes.
0: Uh, so she was born in eighteen sixty nine. Um, her father was abusive. Her mother did not help. Uh, he used to beat them incessantly. Um, they would later have uh, three sons. Um, so oh, he, see, he should
1: be happy yeah, now, right?
0: He, he would eventually get his sons, uh, but he was not happy that the first one was a daughter. Oh my god. Uh, <clears throat> Goldman, uh, she liked her to have sisters. Um Helena and Lena. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had a complicated relationship with them because they weren't full sisters. Um Lena was distant and uncharitable. Uh but um Helena who was That's the so oldest a weird
1: explanation for someone distant and uncharitable. Distant and uncharitable. <laughs> I hope I'm never described like in either of those. <laughs> Sorry, how's the other one? <laughs>
0: Helena was the oldest, and she was a comforter. Um, <laughs> she was apparently the caretaker of the family. Yeah. Uh, and she, um, Goldman would say that whatever joy it had, her childhood, in her childhood, came from Helena.
1: Okay.
0: Um, when Emma was young, uh, the family moved to uh, the village of Papil, where her father ran an inn. Um, at the s- age of seven, Goldman moved with her family to the Prussian city of Konigsberg, which you might actually know where that was. Yes. Konigsberg? Yeah, yeah I, I actually know where that is. That is. Good. Yeah. Um, I'm not telling you, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's where uh, she got her first uh, real schooling um, at the Royal Uh but she had Harsh teachers, as many back then did. Uh, who, Russian
1: harsh teachers. Yes. <laughs> Prussian. Prussians.
0: Prussians. Me. Um, who uh, her teacher would beat her hands with the ruler whenever really? she made a mistake. And apparently she targeted Goldman in particular. That's great. Lovely childhood. Yeah. Uh, when she got older, she found a sympathetic mentor in her German language teacher who learned her books. And took her to an opera. Um, Goldman passed the exam for admission into a gymnasium, but her religion teacher refused to provide a certificate of good behavior. She was unable to attend. So she had the chance to go on to a better school, and was not allowed. What? Yep.
1: I don't like hearing these stories at all, Andrew, <laughs> and you know that.
0: Well, it'll get better once she gets through her childhood. Well, it's, it's a complicated story, but it's there's mm. good stuff in there too.
1: This sounds like. This wouldn't be Netflix, so this just would be like HBO or Showtime. Show. This would
0: definitely be an HBO show. Yeah. Um, they would eventually move to the Russian uh, capital of St. Petersburg, where her father opened one unsuccessful business after another. Um,
1: Why doesn't he just try something else?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> he has the money and he Ugh. wants to succeed. You can't, like, He's not good at running businesses, obviously. Or being a person. Or so. being a person. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's a go-getter. He wants to start oh his own God. business. And <laughs> <Keep going. laughs> um, as a teenager, Goldman begged her father to allow her to return to school, to put her into uh, a college or somewhere where she could, like, develop herself as a, as an um, academic. Yeah. Um, and he, Confused constantly. Naturally. Um, he said that girls do not have to learn much. All a Jewish d- daughter needs to learn is how to prepare a belt to fish, cut noodles fine, and give a man plenty of children. Oh,
1: my gosh. Where's a nice so I can stab him?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we need a, a time travel device to go back and Yeah, yeah, and I'll give that on that her. first. Gotcha. Uh, so she, she began reading on her own. Um, she was particularly fascinated with the nihilists who were responsible for assassinating Alexander II. Mm-hmm. Um, she was intrigued by uh, the history of the Russian uh, assassinations um, and she uh, she took particular interest in um, the Chernofsky novel what is to be done uh, which features the protagonist Bira who adopts a nihilist philosophy and escapes her oppressive family to live freely and organize a sewing cooperation. All right. So you can see how that kind of protagonist would appeal to her. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm trying to, yeah. The wheels are turning and perfect.
0: <laughs> Um Apparently it changed her life. It remained a source of inspiration throughout her life. Um, her father, meanwhile, continued to insist on a domestic future for her and he tried to arrange for her to be married at the age of 15 um, and she fought about the issue. Um, she worked at a corset shop uh, where she was forced to fend off unwelcome advances from Russian officers and other men. Um, this is where that uh, yes. trigger warning earlier comes in. One person um, took her back to a hotel room and committed what she called violent contact. Mm-mm. Um, this kind of scarred her for life. Uh, she felt that that encounter forever soured her interactions with men. Yeah. Um, she does meet the love of her life later, so...
1: I'm glad that you tell me this, This though. part is I'm pretty glad bad. For the spoiler
0: alert. She will meet the love of her well, life. I can't wait to see who it is. And they'll be together for many years. Good. This isn't a
1: two-parter We have to wait until next no. Sunday. Okay.
0: I'm going to tell her life and times this episode. Like I said, it's pretty long. Yeah. But, uh, I, don't
1: care, I love your long spiel, so keep going. I have plenty of wine tonight, actually.
0: <laughs> so the oldest sister moves to New York in 1885. Goldman follows her. Um, her father was against it, but she threatened to throw herself into the river and eventually he wanted to. Uh, oh,
1: my gosh. That's what got him to say okay? Yeah. Probably because you probably knew that she may not be born. <laughs> God.
0: Knowing her, she probably wasn't. Yeah. Um, so they they moved to Rochester, New York. Um, apparently, there was uh, uh, rising anti Semitism at this time in the late um, 1880s, hmm. which uh, you may, may know the That's history right. of where that leads. <laughs>
1: time period for anti-Semitism I believe
0: right 1880s Um, so she began working as a seamstress Mm -hmm. in New York um, fleeing the anti-Semitism of St. Petersburg um, and she earns two and a half dollars a week
1: wait until you hear what my person (laughs) earns a week (laughs) they're very similar not okay well mine's a a couple decades later but I can find out it's also a dude
0: okay so they're not similar. Oh,
1: they're not similar at all. was <laughs> trying to be
0: sarcastic. <laughs> um, there she, uh, while working as a seamstress, uh, her and her co-worker Jacob Kirshner shared their love for books, dancing, and traveling, um, and frustrations with the monotony of factory work. After four months, they married in February 1887. Uh, once they moved in with Goldman's family, however, their relationship faltered. On their, on their wedding night uh, she discovered that he was impotent um, they became emotionally and physically distant um, before long he becomes jealous and suspicious um, and she becomes politically engaged um, and they, uh, separate. they separate Okay, good. less than a year after the wedding they were divorced um, <laughs> he begged her to return and threatened to poison himself if she did not and she did not
1: Did he poison himself, though? Probably because she knew that he wasn't going to do
0: that. He did not poison himself. Yeah,
1: surprise.
0: Um, Her parents, always the uh, the understanding people, considered her behavior (laughs) to be loose, um, and they were first they refused to allow her into into their home anymore.
1: But if well, never mind. Because they, they, yeah, at some point they consummated their marriage.
0: Um, So she took her sewing machine, and she left Rochester, and she headed southeast to New York City. NYC. Uh, Yep, NYC. Um, New York, New York. (laughs) Um, So around this time, she's becoming politically engaged. This is uh, 1886, the Haymarket Affair in Chicago, um, which I've talked about before. Mm -hmm. She starts discovering anarchism. Um, on her first day in New York, she meets two men in a cafe. Uh, the first is Alexander Berk- Berkman, an anarchist who invited her to a public speech that evening. Um, they went to hear Johann Most, editor of the radical publication called Fahrenheit, and an advocate of propaganda of the deed. Ooh. Do you remember what that is? No. It's anarchists using violence to instigate change.
1: Ooh. Okay. This is going to be right. important. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so she uh, she kind of falls in love with Alexander Berkman, and she kind of uh, falls in love with Johann Most's philosophy. Um, Johann Most uh, takes her under his wing, becoming her mentor. He encouraged her vigorously, telling her that she was to take his place when, she, when he, was, he was gone. Um one of her first public, public talks in support of the cause was in Rochester. Um, okay. After convincing Helena not to tell her, their parents of her speech, Goldman, uh, Goldman had trouble writing. Um, she wrote l- later, Something strange happened. In a flash, I saw it. Every instant of my three years in Rochester, the Garson factory, its drudgery and humiliation, the failure of my marriage, the Chicago crime, and I began to speak. Words I had never heard myself utter before came pouring forth, faster and faster. They came with passionate intensity. The audience had vanished. The hall itself had disappeared. I was conscious. I was conscious only of my own words, of my ecstatic song. Wow. Impressive. Yes. Um, so she begins refining her public persona. Uh, she found. She finds herself um, arguing with most over her independence. She wants to be independent. She wants to be free. He wants her to be under his wing. Um, after a momentous speech in Cleveland, she felt as though she had become a parrot, repeating most views and resolved to express herself on the stage. Upon her return to New York, most became furious and told her, Who is not with me is against me. <laughs> and so she, she leaves the newspaper and joins with another publication, Die Autonomy. Um, meanwhile she had begun a friendship with alexander berkman whom she affectionately called sasha quote
1: unquote friendship
0: quote unquote friendship (laughs) Uh, before long they become lovers and move into a communal apartment with modest freda stein and goldman's friend helen minkin on 42nd street um, although their It's a popular
1: street, I hear.
0: Yes. <laughs> 42nd Street. I don't know what area of New York that is.
1: I think it's near where the Macy's is. I don't know how long <laughs> 42nd Street is. I have no
0: idea. Um, although their relationship had numerous difficulties, Goldman and Berkman would share a close bond for decades, united by their anarchist principles and commitment to personal equality. And they would stay together... For forever. Decades. Yay! Maybe not forever, but definitely for decades.
1: They drink the eternal juice <laughs> <laughs> and they're together forever. In
0: 1892, Goldman joined with Berkman and Stein in opening an ice cream shop in Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm Tell hoping, me that was
1: successful.
0: I'm hoping that uh, I pronounced that right.
1: Worcester um, Shost. Sh- sh-
0: yes, exactly. Uh, after only a few months of operating the shop, however, Goldman and Berkman were deflected from the venture by their involvement in the Homestead Strike. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> do you know what the Homestead Strike was?
1: I've, you've mentioned this before. I think I probably Yes.
0: Uh, so, there was a factory owned by Andrew Carnegie and Homestead, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a steel plant and uh, the Carnegie Steel Company and the Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steel Workers were in talks for, you know, rays, safety precautions, and stuff that we kind of take for granted now, um, and those talks broke down. So uh, the factory's manager was a Henry Clay Frick, and he was a fierce owner of the union, um, and when the final rounds of talks failed at the end of June, management closed the plant and locked out the workers, who immediately went on strike. Strike breakers were brought in, and the company hired uh, the Pinkerton guards to protect them.
1: Pinkertons! The
0: Pinkertons. Uh, we've talked about them before, too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: On July 6th, a fight broke out between 300 Pinkerton guards and a crowd of armed union workers. So, uh, Emma Goldman and Andrew Berkman, they, uh, decide to follow their own philosophy of, um, uh, by the deed, and they oh, decide oh, that...
1: what do they do? <laughs> What do they do, Andrew?
0: They decide that they're going to assassinate for Oh, yeah. okay. Um... That was go there, but
1: <laughs> somewhere near there.
0: <laughs> they expected that the action would inspire the workers to revolt against the cap- capitalist system. Uh, Berkman chose to carry out the assassination and ordered Goldman to stay behind in order to explain his motives after he went to jail. Berkman tried and failed to make a bomb, uh, and then he set off for Pittsburgh to buy a gun and a suit of decent clothes. Goldman, meanwhile, tried to help fund the scheme through sex work.
1: Ugh. Oh, I don't like the storm anymore. Ugh.
0: Once on the street, she caught the eye of a man who took her into a saloon, bought oh. her a beer, gave her $10, informed her she did not have the knack, and told her to quit the business.
1: <laughs> wow. That's not... Alright. Twist. Again.
0: <laughs> um, she said that she was too astounded for speech, and wrote to her sister, Helena, claiming illness, and asked for $15. Uh, did Helena give her that
1: $15? Yeah
0: the loving sister yeah
1: Oops. the compassionate
0: the comforter the comforter on july 23rd berkman gained access to frick's office with a concealed handgun and shot shot frick three times and then stabbed him in the leg oh my god frick survived
1: yeah he stabbed him in the <laughs> leg i <Why> have <laughs> all places we you stab him in the leg well he
0: was probably going for the femoral artery oh ooh, but okay, yeah, um, gotcha. i'm guessing that he missed i'll
1: just go for the neck or something you Not that would i would ever do it I would actually squirm and, like, just run away.
0: I would probably go for the neck if I was him, but that's just me. No, uh,
1: just that thought is, like, making me squirm. <laughs> I'll just use it. No, I'm not going to use anything. I am just going to not solve my problems by assassinating
0: anyone. <laughs> Please don't assassinate
1: me. <laughs> don't plan on it.
0: Drink some more wine. You'll uh, be fine. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ber- Berkman was convicted of attempted murder. A group of workers came, caught him. Um, helped the police to arrest him. Uh, Goldman suffered during his long absence, but uh, eventually he was released and they got back together. Um,
1: Why'd they release Because it was attempted? Yeah. So it's was so long to be in
0: there. Uh, Goldman, um, police knew that Goldman was involved with the plot, but they raided her apartment and they found no evidence. Um, they tried to pressure her landlord into evicting her. Um, but because she was living with other people, I don't know if it ever went anywhere.
1: If it, it would be really hard to, like, kick her out if, if they were some, like, communal place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, her former mentor, Johan Most, he uh, was He's furious. He's still alive and kicking? He's still alive and kicking. Um, but he was furious at them, and Goldman and him butted heads over that. She was like, you know, you're always preaching propaganda by the deed. We tried to do something, and yeah. it didn't work. We're, Why are you... Brains? We're doing what you're preaching. Yeah. We're practicing what you're preaching, yeah, basically. Yeah, um, There sorry. was... Okay, more wine. Yeah. And we're back. Sweet. <laughs> um, in 1893... Uh, what became known as the Panic of 1983 uh, hit... 1893. The Panic of 1893. Okay. Uh, it was one of the biggest economic crises of the century. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the years in, the unemployment rate was higher than 20%. Yes.
1: Um,
0: there were hunger demonstrations, and sometimes these demonstrations would give way to riots. Um, yeah,
1: because people were hungry. Ugh. Exactly. I almost saw two fucking fights at the Miami airport. Over hunger? Not over hunger. (laughs) But it's like people being antsy and like, I need this, I need that. Yeah. I get why, well, one of them was just people coming in line and just like, oh my gosh, everyone wakes in line. The other one was like, I don't even want to get into it, but like, we're all just into where we're going. But they had flights that like need to be catching and nothing was moving. Yeah, yeah. And usually they let those people go ahead, but they weren't really letting that. Right. We have plenty of time, so we we're just like we're away from <laughs> over here, just waiting to get through a security. Because you have to go through customs yeah. when you come like, back in the country, and that's what these people were doing. It's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> sorry, it's okay. That was a slight, like, but yeah. it, like, so what I'm saying is, people get really feisty over like unemployment yeah, things. Yeah, simple stuff. So. so I can imagine if it's doing due, due to hunger for you and your family. Right. Hell yes,
0: exactly. Um, and so Goldman began speaking in front of crowds of these frustrated people who don't have work, they don't have bread. Um, on August 21st, um, August 21st, she spoke to a crowd of nearly 3,000 people in Union Square, where she encouraged the unemployed workers to take immediate actions. Her exact words are unclear. Undercover agents insist she says uh, take everything by force, while she later recounted that she said, Demonstrate before the palaces of the rich. Demand work. If they do not give you work, demand bread. If they deny you both, take bread. Which I oh, yeah.
1: That sounds very familiar. Yes.
0: Uh, and so this is when she gets arrested for inciting a riot. Um, she is arrested a week after making her speech in Philadelphia uh, during the train ride um, to New York. Uh, Jacobs offered to drop the charges against her if she would inform on other radicals in the area. She responded by throwing a glass of ice water I in his say, face. I was going to say, I don't think she would.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to see where this goes. Yes. Glass of ice water, I like it. I approve. <laughs> it's just funny. Just
0: classic, right?
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: Um, so, uh, as she's awaiting trial, uh, she's visited by Nellie Bly, a reporter for New York World. Yeah. Um, She spends two hours talking to Goldman, and she writes a positive article about the woman she described as the modern Joan of Arc. Arc. Oh, okay. Um, Despite this positive publicity, the jury was persuaded by Jacob's testimony and frightened by Goldman's uh, politics. Uh, The the assistant district attorney questioned Goldman about her anarchism as well as her atheism. A judge spoke of her as a dangerous woman, (laughs) quote-unquote. Dangerous oh, woman. Dangerous woman. Beware. Well. <laughs> she was sentenced to one year in Blackwell's Island Penitentiary. Um, once, in sh- once inside, she suffered an attack of rheumatism and was sent to the infirmary. Uh, there she befriended a visiting doctor and began studying medicine. So in, in addition to her anarchism <laughs> and her uh, her needlework, she's able to uh, help people. Needlework on people. Yes. <laughs> Um, she also re- reads while she's there, because I suppose there's probably nothing else to do. I bet there's... They
1: don't... She will bring her iPhone with her? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I don't think they let you take your iPhone. They, they, they make you put that in the desk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, she gets released after ten months, and a raucous crowd of nearly 3,000 people are greeting her.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Um, she soon be- became swamped with requests for interviews and lectures. Uh, to make money, she decided to perfu- pursue the medical work that she had studied in prison. Uh, however, her preferred fields of specialization, which are midwifery and massage, mm-hmm. aren't available to nursing students in the U.S. at this time.
1: Really? Midwife? Yep. Actually, I do remember that from what I told her about... Oh, right. Talking about Kennedy's yeah. Rosemary, about yeah. how the midwife literally pushed the baby back in.
0: Because they're not allowed to help out. Bad idea. Bad idea. Um, So midwifery and massage aren't uh, available to nursing students in the U.S. So she goes to Europe, lecturing in London, Glasgow, and Edinburgh. um, And there she meets other anarchists, Erica Malatesta, who I've talked about before, Mm -hmm. Louise Michel, and Peter Kropotkin, who I don't know if I've mentioned before.
1: I feel like I would recognize that last name,
0: and I don't recognize the last name. Okay, cool. Kropotkin? Kropotkin.
1: Yeah.
0: I will definitely be doing an episode about him in the future. Okay.
1: Cool. Um,
0: In Vienna, she receives two diplomas uh, and puts them to work immediately back in the U.S. Uh, She alternates between lectures and midwifery. She conducts the first cross-country tour by an anarchist speaker. Hey. In November of 1899, she returns to Europe. Where she meets the anarchist Hippolyte Havel, uh, with whom she went to, to France and helped organize the International Anarchist Congress on the outskirts of Paris. So she's doing pretty well, for herself. yeah. I
1: was gonna say, like, she's just traveling everywhere, doing things. So you know, meeting these people,
0: all this good stuff. There's got to be something bad coming. Damn it! you <laughs> know,
1: what happens now don't
0: tell me you already know the story um on september 6 1901 a man by the name of leon Chorkos Oh yes
1: assassinated someone perhaps. assassinated <laughs>
0: someone pretty important uh, maybe the
1: president
0: president william mckinley um shoots him twice in the chest with a yes uh, a pistol that he had under her coat uh one of the anarchist memes on the internet is leon Czolgosz did nothing wrong <laughs> um, so Chilclaws is arrested and he's interrogated um, during the interrogation he claims to be an anarchist and yeah. says that he had been inspired to act after attending a speech held by Goldman oh, fuck <laughs> the authorities use this as a pretext to charge yeah. Goldman with planning McKinley's assassination it's just
1: like no 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 <laughs> That's like saying Jodie Foster helped with the exactly. assassination yes. attempt of Reagan. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um,
1: well, I mean, not quite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in her uh, in her talks about Chalcos, she she would later say that he, she found him kind of weird. Uh, so she had, did meet him. She did meet him once before. Uh, he's he tried to become friends with her. Um, and her and she was like, no. And like I said, she said that he was kind of weird. Uh, she said that she considered him harmless, but, you know. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Uh, during a talk in Cleveland, he had approached her and asked her own advice on what, what books he should read. Uh, he had also uh, come into the Isaac House asking a series of questions, um, and she assumed that he was an infiltrator um, and didn't want to talk to him. Oh, okay. Um
1: Talk
0: about living with paranoia. Yeah. Although Chalkaz had repeatedly uh, denied Goldman's involvement, the police held her in close custody, uh, subjecting subjecting her to what she had called the third degree. Um, She had explained her housemate's distrust of Chalkaz, and it became clear that she had not had any significant contact with the attacker. Yeah, okay.
1: Uh,
0: Before McKinley died, Goldman offered to provide nursing care for McKinley, Referring to him as a human being,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, Cholkaz, despite considerable evidence of mental illness, was convicted of murder and executed, which a lot of people were Wasn't about.
1: He executed him really fast, yes. like
0: it was really fast. It was after like it. weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, remember reading about that. Like that <laughs> was well, it's because it's not like he can claim innocence. Like you know that he did it, right? So they're like, well, why wait? Let's put him up now.
0: Well, the the reason that he should not have been executed was because he was probably mentally ill and probably did not understand what he was doing. Exactly, it's the 1890s. Um, After Cholkoz was executed, Goldman withdrew from the world. Uh, Her fellow anarchists kind of consider her to be, uh, what's it called, Uh, kind of an outsider. Yeah. Um, the press is vilifying her because she inspired the I was about to say, now she's got like, she us to a book and Berkman is still in prison um, so she can't be with him and she says it's bitter and hard to face life anew. Mm-hmm. Um she started going by the moniker E.G. Smith um, and she vanished from public life and took on a series of private nursing jobs there we go, what did I
1: say? <laughs> I should be here for you. <laughs> That's what you need to do. <laughs> uh,
0: so eventually Congress uh, starts, to, um, starts to crack down on anarchists with the Anarchist, Anarchist Exclusion Act. Um, the coalition of people and organizations across the left end uh, of the political spectrum oppose the law on the grounds that it violates free speech. Um, and she comes forward as kind of their voice. Okay. Um, returning to, to public life. Um, when an English anarchist named John Turner was arrested under the Anarchist Exclusion Act and threatened with deportation, Goldman joined forces with the Free Speech League to champion his cause. The League enlisted the aid of attorneys Clarence Darrow and Ed, Ed Curley Masters, who took Turner's case to the U.S. Supreme Court. Although Turner and the League lost, Goldman considered a victory of propaganda. She had returned to anarchist activism, um, but it was taking its toll on her. She reported that she had never once felt so weighed down in her life. Um, she said that she forever she feared that she was forever doomed to remain public property and to have her life worn out through the care of the lives of others. Hmm. Um, in 1906, she starts a publication of her, of her own. It's called Mother Earth. Uh, Mother
1: this Earth sounds e <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not where my mind would go, but
1: Mother it Earth. does. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, <clears throat> Mother Earth was staffed by a cadre of radical activists, including Hippolyte Havel, who she had met in Europe, uh, Max Piekunski, and Leonard Evans. Um, in addition to publishing original works by its editors, uh, Mother Earth. Uh, reprinted selections from a vari- variety of anarchists from around the world, including Pierre-Joseph uh Peter Kropotkin, Friedrich Nietzsche, and British writer Mary Wollstonecraft, who was Mary Shelley's mother. Yeah. I feel like I have to say that every time. No, you should. <laughs> it, like,
1: I recognize it, but then when you say yeah. it, then I'm like, yes, that is it, because I am very bad with names, yeah, so yeah. please, um, please keep reminding me.
0: So she's writing frequently about anarchism, politics, labor issues, atheism, sexuality, and feminism. And she's using this printing press to do it. Um, on May 18th of the same year, Alexander Berkman was released from prison. Uh, carrying a bouquet of roses, Goldman met him on the train uh, platform Aww. and found herself seized by terror and pity as she beheld his gaunt, pale form. Ugh. Uh, ne- neither was able to speak, and they returned to her home in silence. For weeks, he struggled to readjust to life on the outside. Um, Her speaking tour, she was uh, going around the country speaking about abortion, ended early. Um, Berkman intended intended to kill himself and purchased a a revolver, um, but he uh, decided not to. um, He returned to New York with Goldman. and found uh, found that a group of al- al- a group of activists who had okay. uh, gathered around her uh, in the the wake of the McKinley assassination mm-hmm. uh, represented to him like new life. Oh, nice! Um, and so he found he found himself in this assembly, and finally he said, "My resurrection has come," um, and set about returning to the work. Uh, Berkman took the helm of Mother Earth in 1907, while Goldman toured the country to raise funds to keep it operating. Uh, Editing the magazine, he found revitalizing. His relationship with Goldman was a little bit rocky, but they maintained a close friendship. Um, He had an affair with a 15-year-old anarchist named (sighs) Becky Adelson. Uh, Goldman was pained by this, but con- considered it a consequence of his prison I thought experience. I you said
1: that this was a very love story, and this sounds like nothing like it.
0: It's a love story. They are <clears throat> together for, for decades. decades.
1: With an asterisk.
0: <laughs> Actually,
1: two asterisks. It's
0: just the love story that you might see on, um... Crazy Grey's Anatomy. Or, <laughs> God. <laughs> um, something, to, something to that effect. Um... Later that year, she serves as a delegate from the U.S. to the International Anarchist Congress of Amsterdam. Uh, anarchists and syndicalists from around the world gathered to sort out the tension between the two ideologies, uh, but no decisive agreement was reached. There's not really a tension between anarchists and syndicalists anymore, so eventually yeah. they worked it out. <laughs> um, over the next decade, she travels around the country non-stop, delivering uh, lectures and agitating for anarchism. Um... The Anarchist Exclusion Act had made a lot of people upset, and she finds a lot of people willing to listen to her in the, in the uh, wake of that. Um, when the U.S. Justice Department sent spies to observe, they uh, reported that her meetings were packed. Writers, journalists, artists, judges, and workers from across the spectrum spoke of her magnetic power, her convincing presence, her force, eloquence, and fire.
1: Mm. Hoity-toity.
0: Um, in 1908, Goldman meets uh, and falls in love with Ben Reitman, the so-called hope, uh, the so-called hobo doctor. All right, now I need a third astronaut <laughs> on this thing. Um, having grown up in Chicago's Tenderloin district, Reitman spent several years as a drifter before earning a medical degree from the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Chicago. Uh, as a doctor, he attends to people suffering from poverty and illness, particularly venereal disease. Mm. Um, so he and Goldman begin a affair. Um, they share a commitment to free love, and Reitman takes a variety of lovers, but Goldman uh, does not. Um, she tried to reconcile her feelings of jealousy with the belief in freedom of the heart, but she finds it difficult. Yeah. Um, after about two years, she begins feeling frustrated with lecture audiences. She wants to reach a small, collective few who will really understand, rather than the masses who don't really understand. Yeah. Um, She collects a series of her speeches and items she had written uh, for Mother Earth and publishes a book called Anarchism and Other Essays. Um, This covers a variety of topics, from her feminism to her anarchism, and everything in between. Um, In 1914, she starts disseminating information about birth control Uh, for Margaret Sanger, who is an advocate of access to contraception. Um, Gasp. Gasp. Uh, Scandalous. (laughs) Um, She received, uh, or she gives her aggressive support uh, to Sanger and publishes many articles about Sanger. In 1916, Goldman gets arrested for giving lessons in public on how to use contraceptives.
1: Oh my god. <laughs>
0: Ugh. Shoot me. <laughs> I don't. Um, Sanger was also arrested uh, for the d- dissemination of obscene, lewd, or lascivious uh, materials, including information uh, relating to birth control. What uh, Eventually, Sanger and Goldman are going to have the falling out over uh, insufficient support, um, but they basically our partners for about two years um, in 1915 Goldman conducts a nationwide speaking tour in part to raise awareness about contraceptive op- options um, although the nation's attitude toward the topic seemed to be liberalizing Goldman was arrested on February 11th 1916 as she was about to give another lecture uh, she's charged with uh, violating com- Comstock law um, she refused to pay a hundred dollar fine and spent two weeks in prison uh, she saw it as an opportunity to reconnect with the, uh, the rejected and downtrodden society. So it was not bad. Yeah, Definitely better than her first time getting arrested. Yeah, way. Uh, so, World War I comes up around this time. Um, let's see. Goldman saw the decision as an exercise in militarist aggression driven by capitalism. She declared in Mother Earth that uh, she intended to resist consri- conscription and urge people to burn their draft cards. Which she gets arrested for. They had, oh,
1: I didn't know that the draft started
0: then. Uh, conscription, yeah. There was a Selective Service Act of 1917. Okay. Um, so she, uh, she and Berkman organized the No Conscription League of New York, which proclaimed, we oppose conscription because we are internationalist anti-militarists, and opposed to all wars waged by capitalistic governments. The group became a vanguard for anti-draft activism. Chapters began to appear in other cities. Uh, When the police began raiding the group's uh, public events to find young men who had not registered with the draft, uh, Goldman and others focused their efforts on distributing pamphlets rather than doing speaking events. Um, In the midst of the nation's patriotic fervor, many uh, many many elephant Many elements. Oh, (laughs) many elements of the political left refused to support the league's efforts. The Women's Peace Party, for example, ceased its opposition to the war once the U.S. entered it. The Socialist Party of America took an official stance against U.S. involvement but supported Wilson and most of his activities. I'm gonna take a drink real quick just because my throat. Yeah, you need to.
1: You've been talking for a bit. Take a break.
0: Mm. So good. Uh, so 1917 Goldman and Berkman get arrested again um, the raid on their offices yields a wagon load of anarchist records and propaganda um, the pair were charged with conspiracy to induce persons not to register for the draft under the newly enacted espionage act and were held on $25,000 bail each
1: that's a shit ton
0: that's a shit ton <laughs> 25000
1: yep 25000
0: each. Each. No, I got that. Yeah. Um. Uh, so Goldman spoke uh, on her own behalf at the trial. She invoked the First Amendment. She said that, uh, We say that if America is under the war to make the world safe for democracy, she must first make democracy safe in America. How else is the world to take America seriously when democracy at home is daily being outraged? Free speech depressed. Peaceful assemblies broken up by overbearing and brutal gangsters in uniform. When free press is curtailed and every independent opinion gagged, verily, poor as we are in democracy, how can we give of it to the world? Um, they're released. Uh, they are charged. They go to prison. They are released during the Red Scare of 1919 to 1920, uh, when public anxiety about wartime pro-German activities had morphed into a pervasive fear of Bolshevism, the prospect of imminent radical revolution. Um, In 1918, the expansion of the Anarchist Exclusion Act to deport any non-citizens they could identify as advocates of anarchy and revolution. Um, uh, President Hoover wrote of them, Emma Goldman and Alexander Bookman are beyond doubt two of the most dangerous anarchists in this country and return to the community will uh, result in undue harm. And so he pushes for them to be deported.
1: Keep
0: going, please. Uh, so she has a, dep- a, deport- a deportation hearing on October 27th. Um, she believes that uh, the Anarchist Exclusion Act is invalidated because she is a U.S. citizen. She's had her citizenship for several, uh, for several years. Um, and it, uh, the Exclusion Act should only be used against non-citizens of the U.S., Based on the letter of the law, um, she, she presents a written statement saying that today so-called aliens are de- being deported, tomorrow Native Americans will be, uh, Native Americans as in citizens, not as in Native Americans. Yeah. Native Americans will be banished, already some patriators are suggesting that Native Americans southern student democracy as a sacred ideal should be exiled. Um... The labor department includes Goldman Berkman among 250 aliens it supports in mass on a ship called Buford, and a lot of the media at this time is really, uh, really um, supportive of the decision okay. to exile these anarchists from America.
1: I can see that.
0: So her and Berkman are together on the boats, and they arrive in Finland, where they get uh, they get uh, interviewed by the uh, Russian authorities uh, before they continue into Russia. Gotcha. Uh, Goldman finds Russia to be pretty bad. She <laughs> says um, she was Shocking. she was optimistic about it because of the Bolshevik Revolution, yeah. but she meets with Vladimir Lenin. She says. Uh, your workers are starving, they are working too many hours, all of this stuff, and Lenin kind of laughs in her face um, and says, uh, free speech, um, there can be no free speech in a revolutionary period, the workers have to do their jobs.
1: Lenin, my fave.
0: Lenin. um, and so she, uh, she says that she could never live um, within the confines of the state, uh, Bolshevist or otherwise. Um, and she and Berkman uh, set out to move.
1: I tail it to where?
0: Yeah. Well, um, I'm trying to see if I can find it. Days after returning to Petrograd and St. Petersburg, She's she's shocked to hear a party official refer to free speech as bourgeois superstition. Um, She starts going around inciting workers to speak. Um, In May 1921, strikes erupted in Petrograd. Um, She felt that she had a responsibility to support the strikers. She said to remain silent now is impossible, even criminal. Um, She goes and... um, helps the Kronstedt Rebellion, uh, sailors and soldiers. Um, Goldman and Berkman decided that there was no more future in the country for them, and so they left the country and went to the Latvian capital of Riga. Uh, The U.S. commissioner in the city wired officials in Washington, D.C., began requesting information uh, from other governments about the couple's activities. After a short trip to Stockholm, they moved to Berlin for several years. And that's where um, that's where they end up for a little while. Well, here she writes two books. One is My Dissolution in Russia, and My Further Dissolution in Russia. <laughs> that's uh, a great sequel
1: title.
0: Um, she found it difficult to acclimate to the German leftist community in Berlin. Communists don't like her because she doesn't like Bolshevik. Uh, she doesn't like uh, what's going on in Russia. Liberals don't like her because she's a radical basically only, the only comments that she has are the anarchists um, Goldman moved to London in 1924 while Berkman stayed behind in Russia uh, upon her arrival she meets uh, novelist Rebecca West who arranges uh, a reception dinner for her attended by philosopher Bertrand Russell and novelist H.G. Wells and 200 other guests oh. um, as she's there she speaks about her discipline. Uh, dissatisfaction with the Soviet government, and the audience finds her shocking, and uh, a few a uh, few people are uh, reported as having left during her speech because they didn't want to hear what she had to say.
1: Okay, <laughs> it's like did they not know who she was beforehand? Maybe uh, not.
0: Apparently not. Um, and then In 1925, the specter of de- deportation looms uh, over again.
1: <laughs>
0: that was a loud motorcycle. Um, but Scottish anarchist James Colton offers to marry her and provides her with British citizenship. Oh,
1: snap. Does she take it? She takes it. Ah. There's a fourth extra now <laughs> I have on that love that you keep talking about.
0: Um, they were only distant acquaintances. It was a marriage of um, convenience, convenience to help her, to help her stay. stay. Um, but it allowed her to travel between France, Canada, uh, and just stay in Canada. the UK. I don't understand. Just stay here. <laughs> just be happy. Um, Goldman traveled to Canada in 1927. There we go. Just in time to receive news of the impending executions of Italian anarchists Nicola Sacco and Bartolo- Bartolomeo Vanzetti, who you may recognize. Oh, from like our first from Our first episode. <laughs> It's all, coming, all together. coming together. <laughs> <laughs> um, angered by the irregularities in the case, which I previously described, yeah. uh, she saw it as another travesty of justice in the U.S. Um, she longed to join the mass demonstrations in Boston. Uh, however, she's afraid that she'll get arrested and court mm-hmm. again. In 1928, she begins writing her autobiography with the support of a group of American lawyers, including journalist H.L. Mencken, poet Edna St. Vincent Millay, Novelist the- Theodore Dresser and art collector Peggy Guggenheim, who you may know as Project Guggenheim. <laughs> um, cur- she secured a cottage in the French coastal city of St. tropez and spent two years recounting her life. Uh, Berkman offered sharply critical feedback, which she eventually incorporated at the price of a strain on their relationship. Oh. Uh, so you can have a fifth Yeah, first, I've already... To. I need to
1: change my... Uh, what it is at this point
0: they do still love each other okay sure whatever (laughs) they're still together all right wink um it was published by alfred a nope which you may know as a pretty big publishing company Mm -hmm. uh it was released as two volumes sold together for seven dollars and fifty cents however um goldman wasn't uh goldman was pretty mad that it was uh um, being sold for so much, she urged it to be sold for no longer than five, to, uh, no more than five dollars, uh, uh, but it was the Great Depression, and NOPE decided that, uh, the sales were sluggish, so they had to raise the price to keep the, uh, the profits. Okay. Uh, critical reviews were pretty, uh, enthusiastic, but because sales were sluggish, yeah, wasn't very well sold. Um... In 1933, she receives permission to lecture in the U.S. under the uh, condition that she speak only about drama and her autobiography, not about current political events. Okay. Uh, Did she do that? I believe that she did. In 1934, she returned to New York to generally positive coverage, except for the Communist publications, who are still mad about her uh, reporting about uh, what's happening in Russia? What's, what's happening in Russia? Um, in May, her her visa expires, and she returns to Toronto. Um, in 1936, um, her uh, in 1936, Andrew Berkman undergoes a pair of prostate gland operations and recuperates a niece. and she goes back to him and cares for him during his co- uh, his um, recuperation.
1: All right. Don't believe I mean I believe that they still love each other. Yes.
0: Um that's that's the end of their relationship.
1: Oh, okay, great. Right now as I'm like back on board <laughs> then you tell me that.
0: Yeah. Jeez. Um let's see. Recuperating niece um, He missed Goldman's 67th birthday in St. Saint Trapal's Um, she wrote in sadness, but he never read the letter. Um, she received a call in the middle of the night that Berkman was in great distress. She left for her niece immediately, but when she arrived that morning, Goldman found that he had shot himself.
1: He killed himself.
0: Um, so that's the end of the relationship.
1: Okay, yeah, I get that. But they were together
0: for about four years. Okay, keep going. In July 1936, the Spanish Civil War starts. Um, have we talked about that on this podcast before?
1: If anything, I think it's only been a mention. Okay.
0: Um, so, 1936, the Spanish Civil War starts. We need to do an episode about that.
1: That's what I was just thinking.
0: Um, the Spanish anarchists fighting against the national forces start started the uh, anarchist revolution. Goldman was invited to Barcelona, and in an instant, she, she wrote to her niece the crushing weight that was pressing down on my heart since Sasha's death left me as by magic. Um, so she is welcomed by the Confederacion Nacional de Trabajo, the Workers' Federation, and the Federation Anarquista Iberica, the Free Anarchist Federation. Okay. Um, and that's where she spends most of her time uh, organizing in a community run by and for anarchists. Um, after touring a series of collectives in the province of Huesca, she told a group of workers, Your revolution will d- destroy forever the notion that, uh, that anarchism stands for chaos. Anarchy is order. Um, she began editing the weekly CNT FA- FAI information bulletin um, and responded to English language mail. Goldman began to worry about the future of Spain's anarchism when the CNT-FAI joined a coalition government in 1937 against the core anarchist principle of abstaining uh, from state structures and more distressingly made repeated concessions to communist forces in the name of uniting against fascism. She wrote that cooperating with communists in Spain was a denial of our comrades and Stalin's concentration camps. Uh, You may know this. It doesn't say it in this article, but... um, Later, Stalin refuses to send help when Franco's forces invade uh, the, anar- the free anarchist territories, the free anarchist territories hold fascism because nobody
1: comes to the rescue.
0: Nobody comes to the rescue. Um, so it turns out that Goldman was right. <laughs> uh, delivering lectures and giving interviews, Goldman enthusiastically supported the Spanish anarcho-syndicalist. She wrote regularly for Spain and the World, a bi-weekly newspaper focusing on civil war. Um, In May 1937, however, communist-led forces attacked anarchist strongholds and broke up the agrarian collectives. Um, Newspapers newspapers in England and elsewhere accepted the timeline of events offered by the Second Spanish Republic at face value. British journalist George Orwell, present for the crackdown, wrote, The accounts of the Barcelona riots in May beat everything I have ever seen for lying. Touche. Goldman... um, Goldman leaves and returns in September, but finds that uh, the people of the CNT FAI, which she had originally worked with, uh, are appearing to her like they're in a burning house. Um, the anarchists and the other radicals around the world refused to support their cause. The nationalist forces declared victory in Spain just before she returned to London. Frustrated by England's repressive atmosphere, which she called more fascist than the fascists, <laughs> She returned to Canada in 1939.
1: Yes, Canada. That's what I'm
0: saying. Uh, As the events preceding World War II began to unfold in Europe, Goldman reiterated her opposition to wars which by governments. She says, I loathe Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, and Franco, but I would not support a war against them and for the democracies, which, in my last analysis, are only fascist in disguise. She felt that Britain and France had missed their opportunity to oppose fascism and that the coming war would only result in a new form of madness in the world. In 1940, Goldman became uh, paralyzed during his bulletin stroke. Um, She became paralyzed on her right side uh, and although her hearing was unaffected, she could not speak. She survived for three months, um, taking visitors uh, trying to communicate with them
1: yeah,
0: through gestures um, however not being able to beco- uh, communicate with them um, becoming frustrated um, on May 8th uh, she suffered a second stroke and on May 14th she died in Toronto at the age of 70 damn the US Immigration Naturalization Service allowed her body to be br- brought back to the United States she was uh, buried in um, German wall cemetery in Forest Park, which also houses the Haymarket, Martyrs, and uh Valturin de Clare.
1: Valtarine! Cheers on that!
0: You need more wine. I know, we'll pause before I start. <laughs> that
1: was terrific, Andrew. I really enjoyed that one. That no, was a long one. It
0: was. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
1: so that was my story
0: what
1: was your story um well it's not going to talk yours
0: okay
1: but I just want to talk about one of like one of the original like stars Mm
0: -hmm.
1: on the screen if that makes sense um I just love his his comedy or like well I'll talk about more is like what I think is amazing I want to see it come back okay and I want to talk about Buster Keaton nice um (laughs) Um, you may like the name Maison the way, or some people, but when you see like some of those infamous scenes and you're like, Yes, and exactly who you're talking yes. about. Yes, the house, he's the one
0: who, with the falling house, yes, the, the falling house in the window. Yeah. The one
1: where he's like sits on the train and waits, and then the train starts moving, and he starts spinning with yeah. it. Um, and yes, there is a drunk history episode about him, <laughs> played by Tony Hill. Um, but I actually got most of my information from a documentary I watched on YouTube okay. called A Hard Act to Follow. Okay. I didn't get to finish all of it because I was really bad at the time today. Uh-huh. Um, but then I also went to other articles. But I was able to kind of figure out um, a little bit about it or as much as I could about him.
0: Right.
1: And he's the person who's just, I mean, he was born with this almost literally he was born into a vaudeville family in Pipqua, mm-hmm. Kansas, in 1895. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is right around the time that your person's starting to get up and running. Right. And this is when um, he's born. Do you know what his real name actually was? No. Joseph. Joseph. He's like a Joseph VI. Like, Keaton. everyone was named Joseph. Yep. Um, was like, he the
0: firstborn or no? He was. Okay.
1: Um, and I, as far as I know, he did not have any other siblings. Okay. Or they didn't talk about it. Um, but they talk about his father Because his father actually did appear In some of his movies with him Yeah. Um, so as you know His roots are in vaudeville And by the age of four He was actually a regular In his family's vaudeville act um, And this is the most famous thing it's, It was in the articles that was in uh, Drunk History But how he got his name So In the act Houdini He also traveled with Houdini So he yeah. actually knew Houdini pretty well just, That just like fucking blows my mind <laughs> I don't know why he does as much as it should But it does Um, So when he was six, um, Joseph, at the time, fell down some stairs, um, or he kept always falling down stairs, and then one day Houdini said, well, that sure is a buster, (laughs) and for some reason that name stuck, and he just went by it, Um, but uh, the father said, well, that's a good name to use. Um, He had no formal education. He kind of just grew up in the Vaudeville family. Um, he did learn that all he kind of learned were like the mechanics of gags and things like that Yeah. and I just if you've seen his old stuff it's so great how he like he'll you like draw a hook and then you hang your your umbrella on the hook and like how the fuck does he do that (laughs) (laughs) it's so good and the way there's this one really it's better than Inception obviously how he does this like stair sequencing and how he ends up back on the front floor like how does that happen (laughs) he's just so good at um, the the acrobatics that go along with it, and of course, um, his dead face pants, so this is where I'll go into that a little bit, so he learned from an early age that he couldn't laugh at anything he did, yeah. he realized the more straight his face was, the more laughs he got from an audience, and I like, I agree, like, if you see someone laughing along with a joke, it's not as funny, but if you see them, and I know you, you know they're acting, yeah. why is it funnier? I don't, know. I don't know, but it definitely, it does make it funnier when they're like, huh? Yeah. And you know they know what they did, but... I don't know, that's always fun. So that's why he's also known for his deadpan face, yeah. which is so well done. Um,
0: Hannibal Buris and. Um,
1: Hannibal's really good at that. Eric
0: Andre, I remember two that I really like that do that. Um, do I know
1: who Eric is?
0: You probably not. He's, okay. a, um, he's a late night comedian on Adult one.
1: No, I wouldn't. But, but Hannibal's. He, he and,
0: oh, he and so Hannibal work together, they do the, the Eric Andre show.
1: Well, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Tignataro. his like just just says yeah. it's so monotone and yeah. f- like flat. And you're like, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, so, I know it's still like the end of the 19th century, beginning of uh, the 20th century at this point, yeah. but there were actually child labor laws yeah. in place. Um, and uh, people went to the vaudeville shows to check up on the show because they were kind of, vaudeville's kind of notorious for not adhering to child labor laws. Yeah. Um, to see if they were breaking any of these laws. And they came across Buster Keaton, and he's, like, five, six at the time. And you need to look at five, six-year-old Buster Keaton in vaudeville because it, like, because <laughs> he <lost laughs> he's standing next to his dad, and he's literally dressed as a mini version of his dad. So he has the suspenders, he has... They did something to make him have a... Uh, a well, receding hairline, a cigar, <laughs> like some facial mustache. Like he literally looked.
0: The eyebrows. Yeah, the,
1: everything. Yes, <laughs> he literally looked like a mini version of his dad. Yeah. It was so funny. See, I'll have to like Google for you later. Um, so where am I? So many people actually thought that he was a tiny person, not a kid. So the story goes, an official came back and saw Buster all dressed up in his costume and in makeup. So he's fully dressed up, he's got yeah. sex on, his hairline, his beard. It was a beard. That was it. So the official couldn't tell. <laughs> so the official's just sitting there trying to figure it out. And so this person goes and asks the stagehand, how old is that guy? And the stagehand clearly knew why they were asking. So they pointed to Buster's mother and implied, I don't know, you'll have to ask his wife and he just (laughs) dropped it from there. So he kinda got away with that it's kinda like a a good story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I love it if it is. Um but he kinda left his Vaudeville family when he was a young adult Mm -hmm. and I think it started in New York and that's where he ran into Fatty Arbuckle. Mm -hmm. And um, got him into this one movie where it dealt with like molasses in a hat and flour being tossed at him yeah. um and it was actually arbuckle who taught him to edit, how to edit a film you know way back in the day where he had like clipped the frame by frame to see how you wanted it to go yeah. and he became a, like he became obsessed with it he loved editing he loved learning everything about photography start- yeah. so this is really great that this was kind of his start with it and him and fatty arbuckle had like such a dynamic that Keaton got his own studio. They call it eight two-reelers a year. Um, and the two-reelers, um, I just mean like literally two rolls of film, but uh, they weren't like super, I mean, they're not like movie length that they are today. They're right, right. shorter. Um, and his salary, much like your friend at $2.50 a week, mm-hmm. Oh, no, he made $1,000 a week. Wow. Which is more than I make now. Which I mean, yeah, you'd have to make 52000 if you make $1,000 a week now. Yeah. Um, which I do not. Uh, 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 so he started at 1000 a week and 25% of the profits. Wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a good deal. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know how the fuck that happened. Uh, one of his movies is called The High Sign, Uh and this is one that he was notorious that people realize that, you know what, even though his stage buster is known for a deadpan face, this was one of the movies where he could not keep a straight face. He kept laughing and ruining so many shots because he kept laughing. And they're like, stop it. But he kept thinking it was funny, which I think is great. <laughs> like, if you get that deadpan person, right, right. you can never break the laugh. I can't remember why, um, but I, have to, I need to watch this movie. Another one is a movie called One Week, which I, when they kept showing the clips on this, it was hilarious. I just want to go back and watch these films all night. <laughs> um, it's a movie about a newly married couple. It's him and this lady, and they're given a house, and you can, that you can build in seven days, so they give you all the materials, yeah. and then you build it, and it should take you a week. Um, well, Someone changed the numbers on the crates, uh, so when they built the house, it was very askew and lopsided, <laughs> so it didn't look right. Then they discover they built it on the wrong lot, um, so they try and move it in the slop the house, but it gets stopped on the train tracks, and you see a train coming. It's one of those classics, like, you see it coming, and they all flinch, <laughs> and basically um, it misses the house because they're on the other tracks, and they're like, oh, thank God. Um, and then as they're, like, like high-fiving, yay, yeah, we miss yeah. it, another train on the other end flies by and completely <laughs> demolishes their house in seconds. <laughs> like it's so like you, you should see this coming but it's so funny <laughs> when you see it and what's great is like this is still the silent era since so it's all silent film yeah. at this point um that being said uh for of silent film scripts are very much used but for buster keaton's case it actually they didn't really have scripts yeah um they came up with gags as they went along if they knew the beginning and the end um, the middle could be worked out. That's literally said by one of the guys who did the stunts with him. It was like, well, if we knew how we wanted to start, we knew how we wanted to end, we kind of went along with the middle.
0: The rest is improv.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Um, so the documentary that I mainly watched uh, said that Buster Keane had marriage on his mind for a while, but was so busy with work. And then he did break his ankle while filming The Electric House, and it was literally an um, escalator in a house, and I think some kind of freak accident happened. he... Broke it. And they're like, well, now that he has a break, he married this lady named Natalie Talmadge. Talmadge. And when they got married, her whole family moved in with them, which that's awful. Um, Meaning her parents and two sisters. So you didn't just get a wife, you got four other people. Dang. Yeah. And I don't know, it didn't explain why that happened because they didn't approve of him because they thought lesser of him because they were wealthy. And they didn't really think much of actors or something like this. I think one of them was, like, a producer. I'm not really sure. Um, And so, yeah, they were all well So I don't know why they fucking moved into a house with him, but... I'm not gonna...
0: Old-timey values. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, But he actually put into his reelers... um, how he didn't get along with the family so it showed him with his new wife and like right. instead of two sisters like two brothers who are like being really mean at the dinner table or like they all eat and he like goes to get something and all the food's gone you know things like that right um but then basically he went from doing these two reelers to feature films so now right. we're actually going to like about that time feature films like a little over an hour I believe um, and they, he had to do uh, stop doing what they called impossible gags, basically, because he was the one who's like, "Well, we got to do it," and he did it. Like there was yeah. no stun man,
0: like jumping from buildings. Oh or, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah.
1: And when he missed it, they just kept filming. <laughs> that was just how one of the iconic scenes happened. He's like, "Well, now that I that missed that, we'll just show me keep falling through yeah. all these things." Um, uh, because of his gags, he always had scrapes and bruises, and. One of uh, one of his worst accidents was on the set of *Sherlock Jr.* in 1924. There was a water tower like thing that he was holding on to, and yeah. it breaks, okay. which, which, what it was supposed to do. But he didn't realize how much water pressure would be coming out, and it hit his neck on the railroad. If you see it, it looks like, oh my god, yeah. like, like it literally gets his neck, and like it gets his neck on the railroad. That's right oh, there, wow. um, on the railroad track. Excuse me. So they actually had to stop production for a few days, but he thought nothing of it until 13 years later, he went to a doctor, and the doctor asked, when did you break your neck? He broke his fucking neck and didn't realize Damn. Yeah. Um, and a couple more things about scenes from different movies that I just find interesting. Um, a scene from Steamboat Bill Jr. Uh, required Buster to run into the shot and stand still on the particular spot. This is the one that he's most infamous for, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, Then the facade of a two-story building toppled forward on top of him, and then he emerged on skates due to the one single window that has an opening. It required precision because the prep house weighed two tons, and the window only offered a few inches of clearance around Keaton's body. The sequence, uh, yeah, this one says, like, it's one of the most memorable images of his career because everyone knows that when the house falling out and he stands there and he's like, what?
0: And it brushed his shoulder, didn't it?
1: Um, yes. so the guy that was in the documentary was like, he had six inches to spare and that means like three on one side three on the other he could not move like <laughs> like you know where you have your markers yeah. he was there thankfully like, but the thing is like in the scene he runs and stops yeah the camera and then he looks around and then it comes over and basically that scene has been recreated so many times but yeah. he was the one who originated it and they're all paying homage to him when they do things yeah. like that which i think is pretty cool
0: there's another one of his gags that i like is where he's on the front of the train and there's something blocking the tracks and yeah it's still keep throwing it just just right
1: it is crazy yeah um now we're going to talk a bit about his most famous what they what we consider his most famous movie now uh do you know the name of it that's all right i remember it when i hear it it's called the general
0: okay
1: and it came out in 1926 um it is like right now considered one of his greatest, greatest achievements. I think it's on one of AFI's like top one hundred movies of all time. Um, but it actually re- received mixed reviews at the times. It was too dramatic for some film go for some film goers expecting a lightweight comedy from Buster. Right. And then um, reviewers <coughs> questioned his judgment in making a comedic film about the Civil War because it does revolve around the Civil War. So with this train and like they did all this portrayal of like the Civil War reenactment behind yeah. him. Um, and it didn't get a lot of laughs, so it actually didn't do well at the time. Aww. Hashtag how most iconic <laughs> movies of all time happen. I feel like. Um, and it, hits. They considered it a yeah an expensive misfire, and Keaton was never entrusted with total control over films again. Um, his distributor at the time, United Artists, insisted on a production manager now. Who monitored expenses and interfered with certain story elements? Um, he was with United Artists for two more feature films and then exchanged his independent setup for employment with the big Hollywood setup MGM at the time. Right. And then this is where kind of a little bit of his um, control was going further away. Yeah. So he was forced to use the stunt double during some of his. Or dangerous scene, something he had never ever done before, because MGM wanted to protect Buster, as we all know. Right. Um, MGM literally changed his character so he had established like his repertoire for like this is Buster when you see him on the screen. Yeah. They literally and they show this in the scene. Made him into a sad clown looking for empathy. He literally had like clown makeup Aww. which is like, like mm-mm um he was so demoralized during the production of 1933's "What No Beer," which is a really weird name for a title, I think. That MGM fired him after the filming was complete, stite, despite the film being actually a hit. Right. Um, but there might be more to it, and I'll get to that right now too. Um, but basically, he just got—he just hated it. Right. Um, and as I feel like I think you know, and most people know, but maybe not everyone knows that he was. An alcoholic like
0: okay.
1: he and some say he drinking a loneliness some say he drank because he lost all this control when he went to MGM I don't know what his words are this were just what his friends were saying right. in this documentary and there are many reasons to drink and it could have been like for more than just one reason too Um, and so he and they even said in the documentary like you can tell in what no beer that he is not something's not right, and that right. could also be a reason why MGM let them let him go. Um, so he would try to, quote-unquote, fix his alcoholism several times. Um, they called them cures or things like that instead of rehab. Um, right. And uh, this is where he met a nurse uh, named May Scriven. I'll have to tell you about her a little bit. Okay. So in 1933, right when that film was released and he mm-hmm. was fired, he went to get his cure of alcoholism (laughs) um he married his nurse Mae Scriven during what he literally called an alcohol revenge about which she afterwards claimed he to remember nothing um so he later called that period an alcohol blackout like he doesn't remember marrying her yeah Scriven herself would later claim that she didn't know Keaton's real first name until after the marriage because everyone knows him as Buster Keaton not Joseph um all that being said, they were married for three whole years. I don't know what happened. Does it
0: say Buster on their marriage license? Because I'm pretty sure that's not legal.
1: <laughs> no, I think at the, I think it said Joseph. <laughs> um, oh, shoot. I think I, like, delete a little bit. But, basically, shoot. I did delete a little bit. Give me one second. No worries. Um. Oh, shoot. I can remember her name, but... I want to make sure it's right. So that happened, and he kind of like didn't. He wasn't as popular anymore. All this other stuff. Mm Where is she? There she is, Eleanor. Um, but after that, he met in thirty six or thirty seven. This lady named Eleanor Norris. Eleanor Norris. Yeah. Who was twenty three years his junior. So a bit younger. But um, they got married in 1940, mm-hmm. and she has been credited by several people as saving Keaton's life by stopping his heavy drinking, his having drinking, helping his career.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah. Um, the marriage lasted for 26 years up until his death.
0: General disclaimer to women, you don't have to fix alcoholics. That's not your job. No, no, no. But it's and good that she did.
1: Or, like, maybe it was, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> you can't have, yeah, it's all right. about you.
0: It's all about you, your independence, your freedom first.
1: Yeah. Um, cause he did sober up. I don't know, it doesn't say exactly when he did, so I don't know if it was before or after marriage, but he did eventually stop drinking. Um, or at least it wasn't as bad as it was. Um, but, um, so, between 1947 and 1954, mm-hmm. they appeared regularly in the Cirque, Medrano, and Paris as a double act. She came to know his routine so well that he oft, she often participated in them on TV revivals. Oh. Yeah. Nice. I know. Um, so, even though he kind of disappeared after being fired from NGM, he still, liked did several things. Charlie Chaplin helped, like, try to get him some work and things like that. But he kind of had like a resurgence in the 50s and 60s from new moviegoers who like went back and saw old films of the time and called him a, a movie genius with his yeah. acts and stuff. So he kind of got famous with the young hit crowd in the 50s and 60s, which is kind of cool. Um, uh, and then he, but then nothing else, like he did things here and there, uh, but not too much else, but... Um, he died in February of 1966 at the age of 70, as well as your, as a, I can't even call her Eddie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Emma Goldman. Yeah, Emma.
1: It's <laughs> like Ed, that's <laughs> um, Emma. Emma um, at age 70 of lung cancer. Um. So that's a that's like a very short thing about his life. His films are just so interesting to yeah. watch. They're just yeah yeah and you can watch a bit of them on youtube for free so yeah. that's kind of nice uh one of the things i would suggest anyone to look at is something called the art of the gag it's like an eight minute youtube video that literally shows how he does the scenes and how if you shot from one angle that's why he got so into filmmaking if you shot from one angle it looks stupid yeah but if you shot from another angle it like you see the joke yeah. as it goes um And there are some parts where it's funny if you as the audience know what's going on, and you know that they don't know what's going on. But in other parts, it's it's funnier when you're with them and you also don't know what's going on. (laughs) It's really, it's a really good. It sounds like a college kid did it, like the guy doing the voiceover, but it's really well done. Um, And it's just it tells you all about it. I'm going to show it to you after this. What's the
0: name
1: of it? It's called the Art of the Gag. The Art of the Gag. Um, Usually, um, when I was looking at Buster Keaton. I think if you just do Buster Keaton, Art of the Gag, it should, it should be the first thing on YouTube that shows up. Uh,
0: Listeners, go watch that.
1: It's so good. <laughs> um, and then a couple other, like, my inst- interesting facts. Yeah. Keaton served in the United States Army in France with the 40th Infantry during World War I. His unit remained intact and was not broken up to provide replacements, um, as happened to some other late-arriving divisions. Uh but during his time, he suffered an ear infection, they didn't say they don't say why, that permanently, permanently impaired his hearing. So that was interesting. Um, and they didn't, go into, they didn't go into that into the film. Um, and then I really liked this one. So his silent, sp- his silent film spoke for themselves. When he went over to MGM yeah. is when he actually started doing, like, talkies. He yeah. wanted to start doing it earlier, but uh, the United Artists, like, was like, no. This is not how people know you, but he was like, "Well, this is what's going to happen." Right. And um, they were saying that like he didn't have a speech impediment; he was fine. Like that's what a lot of people way back in the day, with their voices being weird or right. um, having speech impediments, they like completely lost their jobs. Yeah. But he, his was fine. He's like, "No, I got this. I mean, it's going to happen." And they refused. But finally, MGM, when he like went over there, he was in talkies, and they showed him like, "Oh yeah, that is that's what he sounds like. and yeah. He sounds like." any other guy in a 1930s film basically exactly. um but going back to his silent films they speak for themselves um as you know in the silent era they use um inter-ti- intertitles basically yeah. between shots to display bits of dialogue like oh how are you doing today and it goes back to charlie Chaplin, like i'm fine how are you to a certain degree um uh, but uh, Buster Keane actually did not like these at all. Like, he hated them. Yeah. And he used his remarkable skills, as it says, with um, pantomime to tell stories almost completely through action, yeah. as you can clearly tell. Yeah. So, the industry standard for Ender during the silent era was 240 for a movie. So, like, they did have a quota. At most, Keen used 23. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I yeah. <laughs> love that one. So, huge difference. And of course, this is the mesentorist one, they talk about it in the show, it's just so great. Um, When he finally was institutionalized to, like, cure himself of alcoholism, um, they put him in a straight straight jacket, but because he knew Houdini back in the day, he was able to escape the straight jacket and get out. (laughs) And that's not what helped him, like, it was him being himself realizing, I have a problem. And I think they say it in the show, like, he literally locked himself in a room and, like, had the shakes and everything and just went cold turkey. And that's how he basically stopped drinking.
0: He dried it out, as they used to say.
1: Yeah, he dried it out himself. Because it's all about you. Like, you have to want it. You can't want it for somebody else, a significant other. You can't want it for your children. You can't want it for your dog. You have to want it for you. And I think he finally got to there. That's my guess. Awesome. So that's a little bit about Buster Keaton. Oh, I shouldn't closed that. I'm going to show you the YouTube thing <laughs> afterwards, but um, I don't know. I just like find his film so fascinating. I want to see something like that come back in, but yeah. it'd be so hard to see how you kind of do that with today's
0: what magic. Your, what are your favorite Buster Keaton films?
1: Um, I really liked the one with the house. Yeah. Um, it was just well done because the I can't remember the actress's name who's with her him. And she did just as brilliant of a job. Yeah. it was, And just seeing those two work together and, like, stumble across, it was just, it was hilarious. And I really do, I do like that one. And I've never actually seen the journal. I do want to see that. They All they talked about a lot was, like, filming the big set, because there was, like, a, a, a train, mm-hmm. and it cost a lot of money, and yeah. I didn't make up for it. Um, I'm not seeing that, but um, one of the best ones is, like, Um, I'm trying to see if it'll remind me. Yeah. That one's really good and then there's the one where he's like um, I can't remember the name but People think he's robbed something, so it's almost like a Charlie Chaplin film where he, like, sees, like, he's wanted, and he tries to run away, and he's trying to get away, and it's so funny. He runs into, like, a cop on the side corner. Was that
0: Modern Times? Was that the one you watched?
1: It's, no, it's not Modern Times, because okay. that's Charlie Chapman. This is literally Buster Keen, almost the same scenario. Okay. But he does a really good job of, like, playing with the cop and, like, doing something with him to, like, distract him and then run away. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to see if I can find it on here. Okay. It's like, it's good. But basically, um, the one week is just, it's hilarious. I like it.
0: Okay.
1: I think it's like 20 minutes. Nice. All
0: that's right. all I got. Well, that's our episode stay listeners. Um, check us out on the internet. Yes. Uh, absintheactivismarts.wordpress.com, um, Absinthe Activism Arts on Facebook, um, Act Arts on Twitter, um, You'll find Katie's artwork, Chad Osmond's music, my novels, my short stories. All of them. As always, go ahead and buy my books. Yes. Um, Is there anything else you want to plug?
1: No, buy Andrew's books.
0: (laughs) I keep forgetting the Patreon. uh, Absent activism arts. Um, I'm going to forget that every time (laughs) because I don't like. Write it down. Right. Um, The Patreon as well. Yeah.
1: Be a Patreon for Armchair (laughs) Topographer.
0: be one of our patrons
1: that's right
0: all right until next week